everyone. I'm your host, Liana Pavane, founder of TTYL, human connection advocate, certified life coach, and most importantly, a human that's just trying to figure it out. I'm your unapologetic 20-something native New Yorker, advocating selfships. Yes, I'm in a relationship with myself while navigating the dating world. I'm on a mission to break down dating stigmas in our society and to stop ghosting. I started this podcast after my ex broke up with me over the phone. I know, at least it wasn't a post-it. And I realized that our dating etiquette was severely lacking due to technology. Each week, I invite guests onto the podcast from all walks of life to discuss their first date horror stories and best dates. Because let's be honest, we don't focus on the positives enough when it comes to dating. The best part about this podcast is that after each episode, I've walked away feeling more confident about myself and my relationships. So whether or not you're single, in a relationship, or find yourself in a situationship, I welcome you to get comfy as I dive into the uncomfy so we can normalize it together. Before we dive into today's episode, I just wanted to share a few updates with you. So the first is I have an email now. You can message me at ghostsofdatespast at gmail.com. If you have feedback, if you want to be a guest, literally anything at all, I'd love to hear from you. I'm on TikTok and Instagram at ghosts underscore updates past. And my personal Instagram is at Liana Colada, like Pina Colada. I post a bunch of exclusive content there as well. And lastly, I would really appreciate it if you could subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts. It really helps grow the show. My mission is to break these stigmas down and normalize these conversations. And with your help, I can reach a wider audience. So I'd really appreciate your support there. Please consider sharing it with a friend family member, anyone who you think would benefit from these conversations, because I just want to make everyone feel more comfortable talking about this stuff that we don't always talk about. So anyway, I just wanted to thank you all for supporting and listening thus far. And yeah, again, my DMs are always open. Message me for literally anything. Let's dive into today's episode. Hi everyone, welcome back to another episode of Ghosts of Dates Past. I'm super excited about today's episode. I'm here with Brittany Brave, who is an NYC via Miami-based comedian, actress, writer, producer, and host. She's been seen on TBS, MTV, Quibi, The Wendy Williams Show, Sirius XM, and featured in The New York Times, Elle, Ashton Kutcher's A+, and more. Brave is a featured comedic contributor in John Chapman's Moving Forward, um she in 2019 brave was named a best new talent at the new york comedy festival and carolines on broadway and recently won 92.9 the points virtual comedy couch competition Brittany also created catcall at we are catcall on instagram a platform for female events and conversation the organization produces the podcast bad women a weekly show featuring interviews with females to know and has partnered with So Far Sounds, Deep Eddie Baca, Bumble, etc. Brave is an active advocate for domestic violence awareness and gender equality and is a regular ambassador for 305 Fitness. Oh, I love that place. Ladybox Boutique, Satisfire.com. And in 2021, she will release and star in the disastrous dating life of Diane Damone, 
an original comedic web series she also helped write and produce. Oh my goodness, such an amazing, so many things. Well, funny enough, we actually, we, this is our second time recording this episode, so. <laughs> right, it is, and every single time I'm like, I need to update my bio. <laughs> Why do I have Quibi in there? Quibi's dead, I need to take that out. Oh my God, is it dead? I don't even, I don't, I'm so behind. It is, I shot this thing, I guess I can talk about it now, I shot this thing for it, but I think it got picked up by Roku, but I was listening to you read it, and I was like, this bio was good last year, but I need to update it. But yeah, thank you for, for you know, going going through the motions. You didn't miss anything, so I appreciate it. Yeah, I want to hit all your amazing things because you're you're blowing up, girl. Like things are happening in your world. Thank you. I am ready to be rich. That's all. I <laughs> you and me both. Like, you and me both. <laughs> oh God! Somebody just buy me a fucking yacht already. All right. Anyway. <laughs> anyway, let's dive in. I want to hear the first day horror story. Oh God! First day horror story. I wonder if I'll do. Yeah. So I. I mean, I, I've had so many awkward first dates. So much to the point that I don't like dating so much anymore because I'm like this is going to be a waste of two hours. I don't even want to sit through this shit. But a couple years ago, a friend set me up with a guy. I was very single. I was just kind of open to like meeting anybody. I don't know. We'll see what happens. Terrible date. He's big time, bro. Big time. He shows up drunk on the date. He was drinking with his dudes all day in the financial district of New York. So he's just like a typical hinge prototype. I remember one thing he said on the day when I told him I was a comedian, he went, yeah, 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 I get it, Amy Schumer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was like, okay. <laughs> um, so I end the date, don't even give him a kiss goodnight, don't anything. I had mentioned that I had a show the next night and he was like, well, maybe we can meet up tomorrow and we can like get a drink or get dinner and all, you know, whatever. And I was like, totally. Not thinking he'd follow through, not thinking he's the kind of guy who can. So all day the next day I'm getting blown up. I'm not answering him. I'm like, he'll take the hint. He's an old enough guy, like he gets it. Like if I'm not answering, clearly I'm not interested. Well, think again. I get to the venue for my show. He's there. Not only is he there, but he's there by himself, drinking at the bar. And he just basically proceeds to get super drunk, heckles me, heckles all of the comedians, is a complete disruption onto the show. Really awkward to be around, made me really uncomfortable. And then at the end of the night, outside the venue, now he's like hammered hammered like he's at like a small comedy venue in Queens and he's ordering like double vodka and like straight vodka he all of a sudden starts saying to everybody's around the comedians the venue owners me my friends he's like everybody Brittany and I went on a date and I thought it went great but now I'm getting ghosted and she won't talk to me and ah, blah, blah, blah. and I had to go full boss bitch and I was like shut your mouth I am on the job, get the fuck out of here, get him in an Uber, back to his apartment in Manhattan and out of my life forever. Yeah, so that is probably the worst first date, especially because it carried over into another day and almost fucked up my work. So that is my first date horror story. Man, that just, yeah, I mean, I guess that's the downside of being a comedian, <laughs> for sure. Things like that can happen. And yeah, wow, that dude is... An absolute nut job. I'm glad you 
dodged a bullet there. I, I definitely did. Absolute nut job. He's like very traditionally good looking, which was interesting because I really wasn't actually attracted to him. Like from a distance, I was like, oh, I get it. Like you're, he's like traditionally hot. And I just think he's like very privileged, very cocky, very typical white boy, like very frat boy. Like he just thinks that he's like God's gift to women. And I really think he thought, what, why isn't she sleeping with me tonight after the date? Or like, why didn't this work out better for me? You know what I mean? Like, so he, he literally showed up at the show with this attitude of like, I, I'm here. You're welcome kind of thing. So yeah, but unfortunately it happens a lot as a comedian where guys that I'm, guys that I'm dodging show up all the time and they're like, I'm here to support. I'm like, no, you're not. No, you're not. Oh, man. And then you just, you know what? Then you get the opportunity to heckle right back at them. So there you go. Oh, I just kind of like, yeah, you have the power on stage. So like, bye. (laughs) Sorry you came now, huh? He's being a dick to me, a dick to all of the comedians. And I was like, no. And I just went in and ripped him apart. Yeah. We're not having any of it. Yeah. I feel like those are the kinds of guys that you swipe right on for validation and then just don't message at all on the apps. I, if, if this were any other context that a friend didn't set us up and she wasn't even that close of a friend, so I should have known. And she had a history with him. And I don't even, if, if it were an app situation, it would have I would have never been able to hold a conversation with him. I would have never tolerated his presence whatsoever. I only gave him a shot because she was like, trust me, He's, he's really good in bed. He's really fun. Like he and I had a history. It's super done now. Like she had a boyfriend. She's like, but if you're just looking for fun and you just want to like move on from a, you know, just go on a date with him. He'll give you fun at that. So I was like, okay, why not? And my God was, she was mortified too with the whole story. I was like, what's wrong with you? Why would you think we were compatible? Oh my God. So insane. Absolutely insane. So let's move to some Q and A. So now that the pandemic is dying down and everyone has their predictions for hot girl summer, kind of going off of this idea of like the fuck boy mentality, is it going to be a one full of one night stands or intimacy? And as millennials, that's kind of a two part question. As millennials, what do you find are the issues surrounding this idea of intimacy? This is interesting. So I, I have a hot take on this. I think that everyone's initial idea is that the summer is going to be hot girl summer, one night stands, hookup culture rampant, you know, everyone getting an STD. Hopefully it's one of the fun ones. <laughs> if, if you, everyone knows which one they're thinking of. Mine is depression. That's the worst STD. It's if you think you're not getting that from the person you're sleeping with, think again. I think I would hope I have this hope and this take that because quarantine kind of forced all of us to be like really self-reflective to some extent and alone and we kind of had to be away from people and we kind of got to realize, I don't know, wild concept, how much we need other people. I I wonder if like this summer and beyond, now that everything's back to normal, like people are gonna maybe like value connection a little bit more and value people and relationships a little bit more. This quarantine forced everybody to slow down and like be away from each other and like really reevaluate. So I'm like, is it gonna be a hot girl summer? Or are people still gonna maybe be a little bit cautious and like a little bit more careful with their connections? And you know, it's like millennials and intimacy are like opposite opposing concepts. I feel we love sex and we, we love attention and we love validation and all of these things, but we shy away from intimacy and feelings. 
Like, I have a bit about it that I'm always like, yeah, whenever your single friends have a one night stand, you're queen of the friend group. You, you, yes, queen, you did it. Yes. You know, you had a crazy night. You're living your best life. But like, anytime any of your friends like lands in a committed partnership and wants to talk about the deep, intimate sex they're having with their partner and the ways in which they love each other and connect, you're like, I don't even want to hear it. Get out of here. So I, I feel like our generation is just like very averse to feelings and very averse to intimacy and we want the fun and everything but we're like very afraid to go deep that's what I think we're like the breath not the depth of connection it's sad because it's not me I feel but yeah yeah no I completely agree I think a lot of people are craving that deeper connection right now with everything that happened for the pandemic and as you said, yeah, we were all a little depressed. Everyone was a little depressed, if not a lot depressed. It was very isolating and very lonely. And I think and hope that people are going to be craving that connection as well. But I also think, you know, it, it definitely depends on your age. I think certain people here in college or your early 20s, I think a lot of those people are still going to, not to say everyone, but I think when you're younger, it's just the time to do that. And not to say that we're not both young and can't do that, but I think both of us mentally are at a point in our lives where we're craving more than just that one night stand kind of feeling. And I don't know. I mean, I also need practice. So maybe a one night stand and then a relationship. Who knows? <laughs> yeah, I, I'm i I'm with you. Um, That one night stand and hookup culture thing is very like been there, done that for me. But I also understand the concept of wanting practice in this area. Part of that horror first date story is because I had recognized that I wasn't dating a lot. I wasn't going through the motions of like going on dates, getting used to being around strangers, which as you know, as a young woman in New York, there's a whole other element of like safety with that too. So you have to get used to dating. How do I do this safely? How do I do this confidently? Like how how do I like spend time with a complete stranger and make the most of that time and really assess if it's like a good connection or not and feel comfortable and not feel awkward, all of these different things. Yeah, I think age factors into it for sure. You know, you can't speak for everybody, but I'm definitely very much so in the boat that you're in where the idea of one night stands right now just makes my skin crawl. <laughs> the idea of bad empty sex is like nauseating to me. I personally am like, I'm 30. I want to be married and have kids by the end of this decade. You know, it's, you know, women are on a schedule. Like I, I really don't have a lot of options. Like I am running out of time. It's crazy to think about that. Or at the very least, it's like, I don't want to like, I don't even want to date anybody or be involved with anybody who couldn't have the potential to be a long-term partner. I think it's a waste of time at this point and I'm like too busy to do the like oh I'm going on five new drink states this week with five new guys and I'm just casting this net and schmoozing I literally logistically don't have the time to do that it would be easier for me to have a boyfriend right now and just be like I got my person he's amazing and we're just we're in it yeah so that's where I'm at too yeah I totally agree and I feel like the because I also I'm just getting back into dating and so there's this point of, I just don't know how to interact with people that I don't know anymore, especially with COVID. And it's been seven months since I've dated people. So I also am trying to do it where I'm really only seeing one person at a time because it's just exactly like you said, it's too exhausting. And I'd rather just put my time and energy into seeing one person out. And then, yeah, I just don't want to, I feel like the whole hookup culture is like, 
dating around and it just gets so complicated. I mean, now that I'm vaccinated, I'm not worried about that per se. It's just keeping everyone in my head. I can barely keep my schedule aligned every day and having to remember all the details that everyone tells me, these strangers, and then let alone my friends and my family and what's going on in everyone's lives. I'm like, I don't want to do it. It's just too much. And yeah, I was telling you before that this date that I went on and I, we were on a second date and I swerved for the cheek because I was so awkward and embarrassed and just like, I don't know if I know how to kiss anymore, whatever, whatever. And it's funny because up, update since we ch- chatted, he actually messaged me this really sweet message and said that he had a really great time and blah, 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 but he doesn't see this going anywhere long term and whatever, whatever. And I honestly was so relieved because I realized that it wasn't that I didn't want to kiss him. It was that I wasn't interested. I just, I think he checked a lot of boxes in terms of he was a really nice guy and he was, you know, he had a lot. He, yeah, yeah, he looked good on paper, paper. but then when we were together, he was just kind of, eh, you know, there was nothing. And it was funny because I was talking (gasps) to my mom on the, yeah, yeah, like I was talking to my mom on the phone about it. And I think because I hadn't been on dates in so long, I was kind of just wishful thinking that something would work out sooner rather than later. But that would be almost too perfect if the third person I met off a dating app was the person I was going to be in a relationship with. And it just went, it go, just goes to show it taught me a lesson of really taking a step back and looking at everything from a bird's eye view of this person before getting so, you know, just because the first date went super well doesn't mean that it's going to continue in that direction. Yeah, we're looking for longevity here. We're looking for consistent results. You know, we're looking for, yeah, like first date goes well or like sometimes you have fun or like the sex is good or whatever the case is and stuff like that. If you are looking for a partnership, you need to start to see exactly what you said. Take a step back and see the whole landscape come together and it's got to all be there and consistently there. Yeah, I mean, kudos to him for being direct and straightforward and kudos to you for listening to yourself. And I mean, also good for you for realizing like, you weren't interested and you were maybe going to try to make something work that you didn't need to. I think that that is like a supreme quality of women. And I think it's a beautiful thing that we possess. And I also think it's going to be our downfall. Women can make anything work. We love unconditionally. We we see potential. You know, I always say this. Men have football coaches and they're like, that kid's going somewhere. I'm going to train him. And I'm like, yeah, but we do that with you. <laughs> like, we're like, I see raw talent and potential. And I'm going to I'm gonna pull him off the bench. And I'm going to give him the reps. And like, you know, and then sometimes you have to be like, he's not a star. It's just what it is, you know? So, yeah, I, that's, I, but I'm, I'm with you too. You know, what you said earlier about the whole, like, juggling people. I always wish that I was wired that way. Especially in my early to mid-20s when I was for sure getting played by guys and my friends would give me that advice that was like well then you go out and you have your options open too and you go on the apps and you go see whoever you want as well and I'm like I wish I could tell you that that's the kind of person I am but I unfortunately get tunnel vision and I figure out what I like and what I don't and it's very hard for me to fake a connection like I would much rather just like see through it with one person or maybe two people that I'm like genuinely interested in and like I I do not have the time or the capacity to like kind of juggle five or six. To the men listening who do this, 
think about it this way. Like there could be an incredible connection right in front of you and like somebody really worth getting to know. I guess women do it too. If you're insisting on keeping six other people in the picture, you're doing that connection a disservice already. You know what I mean? You're not even giving it a chance to like grow. And maybe you're writing it off as like, well, there's no chemistry or she's boring or I don't think enough is there or whatever. And it's like, did you ever think of the fact that like, you're splitting your time and attention between 10 different people. And maybe that's why like everybody, nobody here looks like they have potential because they're only getting 5% of your, your attention, 10% of your attention. So I don't know, that's, that's always how I've been wired. Yeah, I agree. I feel like two is definitely my max. I don't think I could go more than that. Yeah, I've done two and it was always very weird. I was like, oh, I genuinely like both of them equally. But I I just feel also too like you're a very self-assured boss bitch woman, but you are. And it's like, I am too. And I just very quickly was like, I know what I like. I know what I don't. And the second something turns me off or the second somebody else really grabs my attention or my heart, I'm like, well, I'm not going to fake anything. Don't fake anything, ladies. Don't fake it. Don't fake it. And then in terms of commitment, is that something that you fear in general? I don't fear commitment. I think I fear the path to getting to commitment. I know that about myself. I've had a pretty tumultuous like relationship history. I don't think I'm averse to the, oh, it's only this person. And I need to only focus on this person and close myself off to options. That's not, that's actually very appealing to me right now. I would love to do that and just zero in and really grow with somebody. But the path to getting there requires a lot of vulnerability, a lot of transparency, tough conversations, you know, making sure you're, okay, I'm really excited about this person, but am I still keeping everything else in my life in check and in balance? And like, I do struggle with that. I do. And I realized it like recently, I'm seeing somebody now who's probably like the most, the best and most consistent thing that I've had in literally three years, hands down next person that I'm like, Oh, I could, this could be my boyfriend. Like this is already, but I'm struggling as it's like kind of heading in that direction and making its way there. I'm like, triggers are coming up. I'm terrified. Am I making the right moves? Have I really been honest and direct about what I want? So I'm like, the committed to him isn't the issue. I don't really want to be with anybody else. It's all the other shit that I need, that I'm like, I don't know. I feel like I'm like hitting dragons to get into a cave, like batting dragons away, like to get into. That's a terrible metaphor, but maybe, maybe you get it. Yeah. (laughs) No, I get it. I, I can definitely relate. I think you're so right. The path that we take to get to commitment can be, really painful and really difficult it's I mean for me I wish that I could just meet someone and we could fast forward to the point where he (laughs) I used to say that oh my god I'm so excited oh my god no go ahead sorry I cut you off I say that word for word I was like just fast forward and be my boyfriend already like I just want to get over this awkward stage it's terrible for both of us nobody knows what's going on everyone's in each other's head just you want to do this or no? Let's go. Let's just go do it. Yes. Oh, yeah. Well, it's funny because I was going to say that, but also fast forward to the point where he knows me as well as my best friend knows me and can accept all parts of myself, can accept me when I'm super down and gross or sick or depressed or all my moods and just I think the the most difficult thing about the road to commitment is that there's such a pressure, I think, especially for women to be on your best behavior and not get, not show any other side of yourself 
for fear that they're going to run in the other direction. Because if we, there are such stereotypes surrounding all different types of anything but perfection. So if we text them too much, we're needy, oh, that's going to show what we're like in a relationship. So they have to run the other way. If we're telling them off and, you know, cursing them out and blah, 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 we are aggressive and not someone to be in a relationship with. And it's just, it, the list goes on and on and on. And I think it's so tough because that portrays, that, that leans into, okay, well, we can't have any arguments. Are we not allowed to bring up anything to him and and tell him and you know exactly like you said have I been honest enough with this person have I really laid down what I want and what I'm looking for and that's the fear if we don't then we don't get what we want out of the relationship but if we do we have a fear of them running in the other direction because of the stereotypes that surround us it's absolute bullshit. Yeah, no, I I hear you. It's And it's like, and the thing is true, and like I know you know this as well, and I try to remind myself of this. If you communicate your boundaries, and and I, I know this a lot from like trauma recovery and abuse recovery, and you know, I know we'll get to that, whatever, but like if you communicate your boundaries and anybody in your life takes a boundary that you've set for yourself as an attack on them or makes it about them, then they're not for you. That's unhealthy, you know? So if you're saying my boundary is I want exclusivity and I want transparent communication and these are things I've set up for myself or this is my list of shit I'm not going to put up with or that I want and need and they run away, don't like it, take it as a personal offense, they're not your person, you know? It's the same thing if you're like, I want a relationship, I want exclusivity, this is where I'm at and they say no thanks and get scared. It's not meant to be. And I know we know this, but it's complicated and it's painful because that means you end up having to sacrifice special connections where maybe the chemistry is there and the sex is there and you do really like this person. And then you just have to come with this, like come to terms with this really harsh reality that like they're just not where you're at. And that's awful. And there's absolutely a double standard for women. Like I feel like men, I, I, I've dated so many men that are like covered in red flags but they think that they're like the shit. They, like nobody, no women have ever called them on anything. Nobody's pushed back on them. They play women, they cheat on women. And I'm like, oh my God, you, you're covered in commitment issues, narcissism, intimacy issues, everything. And then, you know, women, you're right. We're so afraid to like peel back a layer that's honest, not in a good mood, pissy, angry, want something different, direct, whatever it is, anything that differentiates from the perfect little princess we're supposed to be. And we're immediately clingy, crazy, annoying, bitchy, whatever it is, you know? And I think we're moving towards the right direction in society, but it's like that we, just because women have always been sugarcoated in American media and American society. And now we're finally at a point where like, because of comedy, because of all these things and these movements, we can be authentic and raw and a little less pretty and take it or leave it. But it's such a double standard. A man says what he wants, he's a king. A woman says what she wants, she's she's all the things, but what she really is, you know? Yeah, I completely agree. It's, yeah, it's pretty crazy. <laughs> pretty crazy when you think about it it's insane and it's like insane that we're in 2021 and sexuality and commitment is so fluid now there's there it's so fluid it's beautiful but that like if a woman still says that like she wants very normal things exclusivity a commitment clear transparent communication she does want to get married 
in the next X amount of years. She does want to have kids. She wants certain things. She still looked at as clingy and crazy. I'm like, how is this part of society and dating still so fucking backwards? It's just, yeah. Like women are running the world. We have a female vice president, but we can't handle when a woman's like, I don't want you seeing anybody else. We've been doing this song and dance for three months. I don't know, crazy. Yeah, and that's the thing about the whole, you know, casual situation. It's not, when we want to be casual with someone, that doesn't mean that we don't want to go on dates with them. We don't want to meet up with them outside of their apartment the first time we meet them. We still need to be safe and we still we still want to be treated with respect. But I think, like you said, it's important. I think I always say it's really important right up front to know what someone's looking for so that feelings don't get hurt on either side because you shouldn't, ever try to change someone or convince someone and so with that but the the whole casual thing you have to lay down and I guess that's true you have to lay down the boundaries of what the casual relationship is to you because for some people they are okay with having sex and leaving and not hanging out and that's literally all it is but some people like to hang out with the person that they're sleeping with as more of a friends with benefits I think it it really runs runs the gamut in terms of what what classifies the casual I think casual is a very broad area of dating that isn't really defined and the people that are in the casual relationship need to define it for themselves because it is a relationship right it's two people getting to know one another even if it's just sexual it's still a relationship it absolutely is and that's what our generation has lost and it's so frustrating guys hear the word casual and it's like okay that's fine if you don't think you're in a position to have a relationship right now or even that's fine if you don't see necessarily that with me but I feel like as if they hear the word casual and that means like okay well I could just I don't need to ever take her on a date or pay for anything or I can ignore her or I can just basically treat her like a dumpster fire when I'm not fucking her and like it's like casual has been taken so far to like Oh, you're not even going to, I don't get a text every now and again that asks how my day is going or like if we get drinks, I really have to pay for it myself all the time. It's just so, they're like, oh, well, she's not my girlfriend. She's not my girlfriend. So if, if she runs in traffic and gets hit by a car, it's a, I don't give a shit. I don't care. You know? And it's like, God, where is the decency here? <laughs> like, Yeah. Yeah, and like even my guy friends will go out for drinks or something or even just going to Starbucks and he's like, oh, let me get this for you. That is not, (laughs) that's just, yeah. And it's not like, even if you're casual with someone, I had a casual thing last summer and he paid probably most of the time, we split other times. And then when I wanted to pay for dessert or whatever, he would get like super weird about it. Like he wanted to pay. Like it was a respectful thing that, he wanted to do for me. And so, yeah. I've also had casual too, where like I kind of knew it was never gonna be exclusive or that's not where that person was at. And I think they communicated that as well too. But like, it was wonderful. We saw each other two or three times a week. Again, he paid, I paid, we spent quality time together. And then again, that's just where communication and boundaries comes up because then it's like, you can be doing that. Unfortunately, we like to go through the motions of like as millennials of casual. We love going through the motions of it and we don't take into account the fact that like feelings are gonna come into play. Cause I've had this happen so many times with guys where they're like, I don't want a relationship. I don't want a relationship. I don't want to be locked down. That's not where I'm at. But then I'm like, are you aware that we're seeing each other four times a week <laughs> and getting to know each 
so let's just like set some boundaries here because we are both, both of us are human beings, man and woman, doesn't matter. And like, this is going to affect both of us. Even if we say we label it as casual, we're spending hours on end talking after sex or we're doing things before we have sex and we're talking regularly. Like you can say it's casual all you want, buddy, but like that's going to slip in and have an effect if we don't talk about it. Yep. Yep. I, yeah. I've been in the same situations and it, yeah, drives me up a wall. But that's, you know. Yeah, you're like, do you realize what we're doing? I think I'm your girlfriend. And they're like, what? You're like, uh, who else are you seeing five times a week? And le- like, what? Yeah, uh, like, is yeah. there a side chick that yeah. I don't know about? Um, when are you seeing her? And where are you getting the time? Yeah, I'm like, you're all at it. She's like, are you seeing anybody else? I'm like, I don't have the time to see myself in a mirror right now because I'm always with you. Like, Yeah. They're wild. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so let's hear the best first date story. Oh my God. There aren't many. No, I'm kidding. I actually did. So I've never been a big apps girl. I love me an appetizer, but not a dating app. I did. I've done Tinder, Bumble, Yelp. No, I'm kidding. I did. I did all of them in very quick spurts. I was never on any of the apps for longer than like two months, if that. And I actually, with all the on and off I had with the apps, I just didn't like them. I don't know. I just felt like it was really hard to like actually connect with anybody. And I was so busy and juggling so many other apps and things on my phone that like nobody ever was like funny or interesting enough that I was like, oh, I I got to meet him. He seems incredible. So I actually never went on a first date from an app until last year. Top right before COVID. Go figure. End of 2019, early 2020, my friend made me a Hinge profile because she's like, no, Hinge is different. And it is. I think it's like the best out of all of them, you know, so far. And I was swiping through. I had just gotten out of a situation with a friend where we were in that in between, like we just talked about. And I could see myself starting to get really emotionally hurt and frustrated with the situation. And I straight up was like, what do you want? And he was like, I cannot be your boyfriend. I do not want to be your boyfriend. Like, I love you and think the world of you. I can't give this to you. And I was like, then I need to go and find it. And I literally hopped on Hinge, met this guy, immediate connection. Our birthdays were like a handful of days apart. We had so much in common. We were both from New Jersey. We were like, whatever. And our first date was on Valentine's Day. And just perfect. I mean, I'd never had so much fun on our first date. I'd never been so comfortable with somebody. We had a gorgeous dinner. We went bar hopping and running around the city. We hooked up. It was just like start to finish amazing. And then COVID hit. <laughs> and we tried to make it work at a distance. I know he's he's an awesome guy. Like he really, really is. And like, I, you know, it was like a frustrating situation given the like pandemic and, you know, a bunch of other factors as well. He has a girlfriend now, like he's whatever. But I can't take that from him. Like he was hands down the best first date I've ever been on. He gave me faith in the dating apps again. He gave me faith in dating again. Cause I was like, oh my God, this was like, he's wonderful. He's so respectful. He's amazing. Yeah, so. I love that. I love, it's just, I love those long dates where you kind of just keep wanting to spend time with this person and it just keeps going and you wander and you stumble upon things. Yeah. He was so, yeah, he was great. And at all the dates we went on, he was very respectful, treated me like a queen, had a lot of fun, all of that kind of stuff. It just didn't work out long term. But I mean, to have a first date on Valentine's Day, we both were like, let's do it. That was the only night we were free. He goes, no, we're doing it. We're getting romantic. We're doing it. We're having a Valentine's Day date in in New York City. Yeah. And it was just, it was, I wish all first dates were that smooth and fun and 
and nice. So, yeah. Yeah. Don't we all? If only there were no more horror stories, but people, you know, you get two people that don't mesh and... I need them. <laughs> need them. Yeah, I need them for my podcast. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, please keep going on bad dates. <laughs> yeah, as long as the ratio stays, I still have a couple good ones, exactly, and then I have exactly. some bad ones, then we're good. Amazing. Yeah. <laughs> well, I love that, and I'm happy. I feel like also sometimes people come into our lives for a reason, and if his reason was to show you that the apps were good, then that was that, and that's awesome. Yeah, he hundred percent that the apps were good. And I can see now based on the journey that I had with dating in 2020 and where I'm at right now, he was definitely the precursor to like the energy shifting in my dating life. Like he helped, he was really good on paper, even if it didn't work out in the actual sense. And he was the first, I was like, okay, I really am getting a sense of what it is I want. Like I'm really, I'm getting one step closer to like what it is my next partner will look like. So yeah, for sure. I love that. So switching a little bit, I know you touched on this earlier and this is in your bio, but you yourself are a survivor of intimate partner violence and partner abuse. So if you feel comfortable, can you tell me a bit about your story? Yeah, I was in a severely abusive relationship. The comedian in me can't not laugh when I talk about dark stuff. (laughs) I'm always like, my boyfriend used to hit me. Anyways, I was. It was a three-year relationship that I've been out of for three years. It was almost three years. It was around there, two and a half-ish. And yeah, there was very severe physical abuse, mental and emotional. Whenever there's physical abuse, there's always mental and emotional. There can be mental and emotional without physical. But as, as one can imagine, the lines between all of that get very blurred and all kind of bleed together. Yeah, I was with him for three years almost. Very in love with him. You know, the up the upside to this was I think he was the first person who completely had my heart, head over heels and love, my best friend, everything. But unfortunately, you know, he was plagued by some of his own demons and his own trauma. And that came out and that's always going to come out and be taken out on the people closest to you, especially your partner. So yeah, I want to say the majority of that relationship was punctuated by a lot of physical violence, a lot of toxic fighting, a lot of cheating, a lot of mental and emotional abuse that ended the only way it could, which was I needed legal intervention. You know, I had to like press charges, get a restraining order literally flee from him in his apartment and and basically pivot and turn my entire my entire life around so yeah Mm. well thank you for your vulnerability and sharing your story I know that it's always tough to relive that and just I can't imagine what you went through and sending love and hugs and I know that you've you found you really found comedy after this and that has really propelled you and and push you to the place that you are today. So how did that journey come to be as well out of that experience? Yeah, I. it sounds super cliche, but comedy completely saved my life. It was a thing. I was always involved in comedy and acting. I was always a performer. I always knew I, I loved it so much. Obviously, in situations like that that are toxic and abusive and all-consuming, you you definitely lose sense of yourself and other things that matter to you or ground you. So I wasn't doing – I was doing next to no comedy – you know, I was, I think I was still in improv classes when I was with him, but I really wasn't like doing it. And one of the things about, you know, these relationships is I think you're more susceptible to falling into these toxic and unhealthy situations. And you're definitely more susceptible to staying and struggling with getting out of them if you internally are really unhappy. Again, sounds very cliche. 
I know we're, we're so bombarded with self-love, self-care, love yourself, like every which way we go, but it, it really is true. And it's not in this grand and flashy way. It's in like the little moments of your everyday life that if you're truly content and you're making choices for yourself, then like you're going to attract the right partner and do the right thing. So I was in this relationship. It just completely ruined my life. I, I didn't really know how to get out of it because I had love goggles times 100 on, you know, because it was at one moment it was this person I could see myself marrying and building a life with. And I never, ever felt this way about somebody before. And then on the other token, the cops were at my apartment at least once a week and I was being cheated on all the time and everything in my life was just like literally up in flames. But I didn't, I didn't have anything. I kept thinking of the thing I had to turn to or that I could turn to to leave him. Like I would think of the breakup and I was dreading the breakup because I knew, A, this is going to be impossible. I tried to leave so many times. I got sucked back in. I, I knew the heartbreak was going to be deep, layers deep with this. Even if there was abuse, it doesn't take away from the fact that I was like so attached to him and in love with him. So I dreaded the breakup. And when push came to shove and I thought of what I could jump to, when I got out of this relationship, I didn't have anything. I had lost friends. My I was the most distant from my family I'd ever been, even my parents, and I'm so close to my parents. And even at some point they like checked out. You know, they were like, What we don't we don't know what to do. Like we're losing our daughter. Like we have no idea what to do. I hated my job. I hated where I was living. I wasn't taking care of myself. Everything around me was was not good and not actually what I wanted. So when it came time to leave, I was like, what do I do? Like, what do I throw myself into? And it was comedy. That was that was what it was. I started talking about the relationship to people and as dark and painful as it was, they were pissing their pants laughing. And they were like, this, this is like hysterical, but like really raw. And like, you're really like hitting a nerve with this. And they're like, you need to try stand up. Like, we know you've always done improv. We know you've always done sketch and acting, but they're like, you need to take this to the stage and write jokes about this. So yeah, I left, I left. I, like I said, that relationship is the best thing that ever happened to me in the, in the hardest, most painful way because it forced me to take a magnifying glass to everything in my life and be like, I hate my job. I want to do comedy. Why am I not doing comedy? It's the only thing I've ever loved. I hate where I'm living. I, I don't like a lot of my friends. I need to start taking care of my body. I need to strengthen my relationship with my family. Like literally night and day, my, my lives were, you know? Yeah, then I don't know. It just, I I knew I knew it was possible to tie myself to something that I, I could love something that wouldn't hurt me. And that was comedy. I knew that I could like love comedy and even on its worst nights and worst bombs and worst days and set, it was never going to hurt me. And that was the main reason I left my partner. Because I was like, I have to believe I can find a love like this that doesn't ruin my life and hurt me. So comedy. Yeah. Wow. That is so powerful. It's so... No, I just, I always like, it's my favorite topic because it's just so taboo. And like, once I get started on it, I'm like, people need to know. I mean, that's why we're here. And that's what the podcast is all about. We're breaking stigmas down. And I want to have people get more comfortable talking about the uncomfortable. Because if we don't, who will, you know? And I think it's the same thing that you kind of felt like, if I'm not going to talk about this in comedy, who will? And you became that voice. And it's just such a powerful story of finding your voice, literally and figuratively, of having the strength to leave that situation. And I love what you said about the magnifying glass of everything in your life and how you found the positive in this horrific experience that you went through. And that you were able to reflect back on it and say, and rather than live through regret, 
live through acceptance and live through, okay, this happened to me. And now how can I improve my life to what I actually always wanted it to be? This showed me the darkest, most intense and awful parts of myself. And now how can I use that to actually bring me to where I am? And I, I mean, it's just, it's incredible. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, I looked at it as an opportunity to take two to get a clean slate on my life. And that goes for anything that happens to us. Like we we always have that freedom to respond. And you're right, like you said, acceptance. Acceptance is really what it is at the core, but acceptance looks like you can either accept it and let it define you in a negative way, or you can accept it and let it define you in, in a positive way. And for me, I was like, I know I'm worthy of love, even if right now I really don't feel that way. I'm like, this person made me feel like I was not worthy of it for like three years. And like, how do I illuminate that? And I know I'm worthy of telling my story. And I know I have this voice, even if I didn't have it for three years. So for me, the option was never to bury what was happening. It was always like, well, it happened. And I can't change it. Like you can never change the truth. You could just figure out what it is you want to do with it. So I was like, well, I can't rewrite time. And I'm going to be in this and healing from this for a little while. So let me at least make sure I heal from it on my own terms. I love it. And it's definitely, I can relate in the sense that I used a shitty experience and then it led me to start this podcast and led me to hearing people's stories and healing through other people's stories. And that is, I think, you know, imagine all the lives that you've touched through your comedy of sharing your experience, obviously in a lighthearted way that makes people laugh, but there could have been, there probably were a large percentage of people in the audience that have either been through a situation like that or were going through a situation like that. And you probably gave them a voice or at least some hope that things could change and will change. And yeah, it's amazing. Thank you. Yeah, it's always interesting watching a live a live audience respond to this material because I've come to accept that laughter maybe isn't the reaction that I'm seeking, you know, and it's some people really appreciate dark humor and love it. Some people, I, I don't think laughter is what you want in that moment. Maybe you do, you do, but like you also want a squirm eyes open. You want people to pay attention and the pushing through that discomfort with the audience is always worth it for those nights where that one girl comes up to me and is like, I have a restraining order against my ex-boyfriend. I was crying laughing at this stuff. Thank you. Yeah. Or like I used to have a podcast about it, Violently Funny, that I ran with another comedian, Onika McLean. And we obviously, t- we're, we're funny women. Like, so it, it always was talked about in a humorous, sarcastic, raw way, but the reviews used to make me cry. People were like, I found this podcast. What an incredible approach to such a terrible thing and like dark thing or like, or we would get people writing to us like I I just left my partner and I found this podcast and oh my God, you guys make me cry and laugh and think and you know, it's like, oh God, that's the moment. It's all worth it. That's the moment you sit through those uncomfortable moments on stage because you're like, someone here is going to, someone here is going to latch on to this and, and resonate. So yeah. Yeah, I think, I mean, even in theater, anything live, whenever I have a visceral reaction, a visceral reaction to whatever's going on is when I know that A, it's memorable, and B, it makes me think about something. Like, it hit me at some something in my core, and I think that's where, even with movies and TV, when we're, we're watching something and we're so affected that's really when we can learn and say, okay, obviously 
this person's circumstances are different, but something in this is affecting me. And then it allows us to look internally at ourselves and we relate to these characters. And that's why I love media and, you know, really, really good raw live performances or TV and and movies because you can just find yourself and learn from other people's experiences and knowing that someone was writing this and creating these characters to heal in their own way too. Exactly. Drawn parallels. You know, that's what I try to do with my comedy. Like it's very, I'm not an observational comic. I'm a very autobiographical comic. And like I went through it and then I try to frame it in a way that's like, have you gone through it? I am talking about my experience, but like trying to draw the premises and the parallels. But isn't this a universal truth? Who, who else can see themselves in this story or who else agrees with what I'm talking about happened here. I never like, I've never loved comedy that was, you know, like, oh my God, the dating apps, crazy, right? Like I have jokes about that stuff or like subways are so gross or like America's weird and like, like whatever, like it's fine observational stuff. Well, we do have to talk about the country because it's fucked up, but I've always loved comics that get up there and like bleed. That to me as a comedian is a gesture is a joker, is like a true comedian, is like somebody who comes up there and is like, this is me and I will I will unpack for you and I will be naked up here in hopes that it inspires you to like open up a little bit too. So yeah. Yeah, yeah, I love that so much. I think that's, yeah, those are the, definitely the comedians that, that get you get you cringing and laughing at the same time is, is what you want. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you want them, you just want them to feel something, yeah. Yeah, totally. And I know that something we had talked about before the podcast was this concept of love bombing, which is something that I hadn't really heard of before. So can you tell everyone a little bit about that? Oh, God, love bombing. Yeah, it's it's basically a tactic where like people pursue you in such a way you're kind of suffocated with like unhealthy levels of like affection and attention early on with the idea to like kind of over sugarcoat and like kind of bury red flags in a situation. It's like love bombing. Like it's like when you like meet somebody and maybe there is chemistry and there's things there and there's a vibe there, but like they suffocate you so much with attention and affection and they try to lock you in and it's like very unhealthy. It moves at like a, a toxic fast pace. And the idea behind it is that we don't leave any wiggle room or any space for you to see them for what they actually are. You know what I mean? Like we don't leave any, and that happens a lot in abusive relationships because these people know they're plagued or they know, and with my ex, he was he was abusive to multiple women. He had had legal ramifications about this, custody battles, assault charges, rape charges, everything that I had not known about. He was older than me. He lived like many other lives and the love bombing made sense, right? It's an abusive tactic to where it's like, I am going to suffocate you with this very superficial, short-lived amount of love and affection and pursuit. And I'm not going to even give you a chance to learn who I really am. I'm just going to like trap you. And once I emotionally have you, because who wouldn't want that, right? Now I can like manipulate you and take control. And it's hard because like the lines between love bombing and pursuit are so thin. Because you're there and you're like, oh, this guy's so into me. Amazing. He'd like, oh my gosh, this feels so great. He, he's all over me all the time. He's this and that. And then it's like, oh, honey, he's trying to like trap prey. <laughs> he's like, that's what he's trying to do. Yeah. Damn. Yeah. I mean, you know, in simple terms, it's, it's fucked up. Very fucked up. So be careful, ladies. Be careful. <laughs> don't, don't fall for a love bomb. Don't fall for a love bomb. Wow. Yeah. It's, uh, it's crazy how manipulative people can be. It's absolutely wild. And 
you know, yeah, it just, it makes sense why people don't trust people because there's so many messed up people out there. Yeah, uh, yeah, and it's like, you know, you're always trying to read intent in a dating setting, and then it's also like, actions need to match the words, and unfortunately too, there's no way around this. Like, you could use your gut, and you could think you know, and you can assume or be guarded, but like, you can't really cheat the fact of like, you just need to give it time to get to know somebody. You can't really like, there's there's always that element of like, you need to let your guard down a little bit or spend time with somebody and like give it a chance for their colors to show, which sucks, but yeah. Yeah, no, it's so true. And I think bringing it full circle to what we were saying earlier about loving unconditionally, especially as women, I think I also, I don't know about you, but I always love to see the good in people and I always want to see the good in people. And so it can, you know, it's a blessing and a curse. It's great because I wear my heart in my sleeve which again is a blessing and a curse. And I've definitely been, I it's found me in, I've been found in shitty situations because of that, or my heart has been hurt because of that. But at the same time, I like to give people benefit of the doubt until I can no longer do that. Yeah, and you know what? Like that's always a good quality. I'm always in favor of maintaining that quality and not letting that that light in you die. You know what I mean? Cause like don't let other people's behavior or their ability to make you don't let their behavior, you know, if, if it's negative, change who you are at your core. That's how they always say, like, if somebody's unkind to you, don't match that with, with a lack of kindness. Like, if you consider yourself to be a kind and generous person, that's who you are. Don't don't become them just because that's how they're treating you. Yeah, definitely. Uh, well, Brittany, this has been amazing. Thank you so much for all the words of wisdom and life experience and yeah, you're just awesome and hilarious. And I'm so, so blessed to be spending, have spent this hour with you. I want everyone, I want you to tell everyone a little bit more about your podcast as well and where they can find you. Yay, thank you. I have a podcast called Bad Women where I interview baddies and we have really candid topics about candid conversations about tough topics that women go through and experiences and stuff i i neglect that podcast though so it's a couple months delayed right now but i but i'm drowning in my own life and i also have i'm Brittany brave on socials and i have a web series out called the disastrous dating life of diane damone so i think it's funny it's based on true stories from me um and somebody else and it's really raw and quirky so i think i think people will enjoy it Yay. Oh, yeah, I definitely I got to watch that. I'm so excited because yeah, just she puts out great content, guys. So everyone go follow and watch. And now you're in Florida. So you're down there. I'm sad, but maybe you'll be back one day. I am. I visit New York a, a ton or you'll see me in the news for slamming bath salts on South Beach or something. You're, I'm, I'm always about the content. Always about the content. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Amazing. Uh, well, thank you so much again. And I hope you have a great rest of your day. And I'm sure we'll be in touch. Bye. Bye. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed today's episode or this podcast in general, I would greatly appreciate it if you could subscribe, rate, and review below. And if you can think of anyone who would enjoy this podcast, please consider sharing it. As a new podcast, the most helpful thing is to grow by word of mouth. After all, who doesn't enjoy a good date story? Lastly, if you would like to connect with me, please follow me on Instagram at ghosts underscore of dates past. And feel free to shoot me a DM if you have a comment, question, or would like to be a guest. I'm always looking for new people to bring on to the show. Hope you all have lovely weeks 
and I'll be back next week for another juicy episode. Bye for now.